Hello and welcome to Angel Insights, brought to you by Syndicate Room. This is the show where we delve inside the world of angel investing to reveal the tips, tactics and strategies of the world's greatest angel investors. And today is no different as we welcome the fantastic Alicia Sirrett, the founder and CEO of Pantegrion Capital, an angel investment firm that focuses on seed and early stage investments. With over 10 years of experience in the financial industry, Alicia is a member of several angel networks, including Golden Seeds and NY Angels. She presently serves as chairman of the board of directors of He Texted and is also on the advisory boards of Beauty Booked and I Ella. Before starting Pantegrion Capital, Ms. Sirrett was the CAO, managing director and very first employee of a multi-billion dollar private equity firm. She established numerous operational areas there, including payroll, insurance coverage, healthcare and many, many more. And Alicia is also a frequent speaker on panels for various startup organisations in New York, as well as for entrepreneurship programmes at NYU and Columbia. And if that wasn't enough, Alicia is also a recurring panellist on CNBC's Power Pitch. Alicia was voted one of the Wharton's 40 Under 40 Young Alumni and has been featured on Fox, MSNBC, Inc., Associated Press, Huffington Post and USA Today, among others. And she mentors startups and students alike and is a member of Women Corporate Directors. And before we dive into the episode today, I'd love to say a special thank you to Jessica Peltz, at KBS Plus Ventures for introducing us to Alicia. But without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to introduce to you Alicia Sirrett, CEO of Pantegrion Capital. Alicia, welcome to Angel Insights. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Now, I'd love to start off by hearing, how did you get into investing? So the long story short is I spent the majority of my career in the financial world, um, banking, private equity, hedge funds, but my last role had been being the first employee and CEO of what we grew into a multi-billion dollar firm, but it was a startup in every sense of the word. And um, it was a lot of fun. It was really crazy. It was drinking from a fire hose, but it was that entrepreneurial experience that um, really inspired me to stay in the startup world for you know the rest of my career. And once that worked out and I invested and took some time to decompress, um, I decided to get into angel investing because it allowed me to um, kind of do my own thing, start my own company, um, and then also help startups and invest in them going forward. So it was a little bit of being an entrepreneur, living that life, and then wanting to extend that experience on as an angel investor. And having been the first employee at a eventually multi-billion-dollar private equity firm, mm-hmm. what were your biggest takeaways from the experience? Well, I don't think that anything really prepared me for it. And I think if if the if I thought about my big takeaways, that is that um, there's there's no book that you can really read that will prepare you to be an entrepreneur. No matter how much you read, the situation is always different. Um, it's specific to whatever you're going through at the time. And so, so that's what I learned from it is that um, you have to be a jack of all trades. You're, you're constantly learning new things. There are challenges all the time that you don't anticipate. And no matter, um, you know, as an advisor now, no matter what I've been through, it may be similar to what the entrepreneurs are going through, but it's not quite the same. And so everyone's kind of 
living their own path and dealing with their own set of challenges, no matter how similar they may be to what I went through. Um, and so I think it's just that mentality of just jumping in and going forward and being comfortable with the uncertainty. And you said that they maintained a startup culture, even when you grew to a much bigger firm. How do you think that was possible? Well, um, you know, I, I, uh, I think that a lot of people struggle with this, actually. I, I wonder whether it's really possible once you cross certain thresholds, whether it's, you know, 150 employees or, or so on. I think that you just have to be careful not to get um, caught up in too much bureaucracy and still have the feeling where every employee is being empowered and um, new ideas that are generated or respected and, and there's a forum for them to be heard. I think that um, that, that also is possible when you're, when you're in an environment of growth um, and you know, there's constantly uh, areas where you can brainstorm on new products or new opportunities or new geographies. I think that kind of inherently um, brings about a lot of brainstorming and that kind of culture. But it's tough. <laughs> it's really tough. It is, absolutely. And it's one we often hear, the, the loss of kind of startup culture when you turn into a corporate. Mm-hmm. Um, and Angelique Mercurio at Enanol says it's amazing to have you on the advisory board because you think like only an entrepreneur can. So how important is it, do you think, for angels to have an entrepreneurial background? Well, I think it's helpful. I wouldn't say that it's a must-have, but I would put that up there on the list of one of the very helpful traits. Um, I'm a big uh, proponent of having a, a pretty diverse uh, advisory board, and um, and I think having someone or, or multiple people with entrepreneurial backgrounds is probably a crucial part of that equation. Um, but with that said, I think there is um, there are other really great backgrounds on advisory boards where they may have not been in the entrepreneurial world, but maybe their strategic influence and connections in very large corporations or depth of industry expertise can also be really helpful. But from my perspective, I mean, I, I personally feel like I have a great deal of empathy for the entrepreneurs that I work with and, and the companies that are in my portfolio. And I also share their sense of um, just persistence and grit where it's like, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Like if you're not giving up, I'm not giving up. And so I think that that's something that we definitely share that kind of mentality. And you said it's not a must have. So what, what are the must-haves, do you think, when investing for the investor? Oh, in terms of if I'm looking at a company, what... What, now, what, what qualities do you think investors must have? We said that an entrepreneurial background isn't um, essential. So what is essential for investors to either have or to know before investing? Well, so I think um, I, think I would answer this in terms of both the diligence that they do and and how to be smart about that um and and then just um maybe how they evaluate a business so i think there's part of it is what they need to have pre-investment and then part of it is how they can be a smart investor post-investment if that makes sense so you know before i got into angel investing i just read a ton of research about what the main contributors are to having a great investment and they really come down to those two things the diligence that you perform beforehand and also the time that you spend with the companies afterwards Um, and so i think the the diligence beforehand is uh, a combination of um how you how you evaluate the company right does this um does this business make sense is this market large enough um 
are they protecting themselves competitively? Do they have you know some kind of proprietary edge? What are the milestones they've already hit along the way? Are you comfortable with the team? Um, have you built a really strong relationship with them to, to work going forward? Does the business scale? Do you understand their sales and marketing plan? All of those are kind of like the check the box things. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, most importantly, you're really doing the diligence on the entrepreneur. So I think to be a great investor, first of all, you just have to be able to get your arms around all that diligence to be able to dig in, to understand all of those, um, all of those items and, and really gain comfort with that. But then I think the, the second part, like I mentioned is, really um, making sure as a great investor, I mean, you don't, a lot of investors are passive, they don't necessarily do this, but the second part is really staying involved in the company. You know, when I think about on a daily basis, um, what I do, my, my portfolio companies are always top of mind for me. You know, I'm scanning like a thousand plus articles a day. If I see things that are of interest to them, I'm sending them along. Um, I'm helping them recruit other advisory board members through my networks of groups that I'm in or alumni um, connections, I've been able to add advisory board members from companies like IAC or Google to my company uh, boards. Um, I've helped my companies fundraise, you know, in terms of like hurting other angel investors to to invest alongside me or leading their rounds or maybe writing a deal memo for an investment group. Um, I've attended meetings with my entrepreneurs. Uh, <laughs> maybe they felt like that gave them some credibility or, or you know, projected um, a larger team or, or sense of, um, you know, I don't know, corporate vibe. Um, you know, I've, I've introduced them to people who became interns or employees for the company or people in key o- operational areas. I've helped them get press and, you know, CNBC or the AP, um, or helping them get speaking engagements, serving as ref. I mean, I think, so I think that, you know, to, you don't have to do all of those things, but I, I think if you were to say, well, what's the ideal situation to be a great investor, I think it's just really being able to dig into all of those diligence items, get to know the entrepreneur, really make that long-term commitment to building that relationship and working with them over time. And then after you've made the investment to stay involved and be able to, to leverage your network to do anything and everything that you can to help them and just be there. And I don't, I don't mean that in terms of a micromanagement way because I, I would never have liked that when I was an entrepreneur, but I think that there's this really wonderful cycle of um, the more information the entrepreneurs share with you, the more you're helpful to them, and then it encourages them to share more information and that cycle keeps on going. And I think that um, you know if you have that kind of relationship and you're able to help them and do positive things for the business, or, or um, um, you know, just kind of help them any way that you can, then it makes the business better and, and you know, the whole thing seems to work, to work in, in the right direction. And in terms of sharing information from the startup, how often do you like to be communicated with by your investments? Do you like a monthly email? Well, you know what the funny thing is, is we're in touch way more than that. So I've never, I've never had to say I want some kind of set formal communication now, with that said, some of my companies do that, and I find that helpful because I, I just love information generally. I just read voraciously, and so it's nice for me to be like, okay, well, did I know everything on this update that they're sending out to all the other investors? Did anything you know, pique my attention? Sometimes it's great for them to have that discipline of sending something out formally, monthly, yeah. um, and if there's a way that I can help them, you know, great, if that's more information, but, but I find personally that usually we're in touch more often than that. And so I, it's not, I'm not a stickler for whether they send that out or not, but you know, net net, it's probably really good 
for them to be disciplined and do that. I'd love to talk a little about boards now, and you've got experience on, on a few boards, including New York Angels, and he texted. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts on boards at the very early stage? Are they an absolute requirement? Well, um, yeah, I mean, I so I do serve on formal boards. I also serve on a number of advisory boards. I, you know, I'll say two things on this front. For me personally, I almost prefer being on advisory boards just because I find the relationship to be so much more fluid and, and we're in touch um, more often. And, you know, it's not that situation where maybe a lawyer is attending the meetings or someone's <laughs> taking minutes. Um, so that's just my preference. But with that said, you know, of course, you mentioned I am on other boards too, the, the more formal ones. And I think that, that, yeah, I mean, for the same reason that I mentioned earlier, it can be helpful for entrepreneurs to send out you know, let's say it's monthly um, business updates, having that kind of discipline check-in can be very valuable for the entrepreneur. And I, you know, again, having been there once myself, you know, there, when you're in the thick of it and you're constantly playing defense, sometimes it's hard just to take a step back and force yourself to think about, um, you know, bigger business goals or strategic initiatives because you just have your hands full and you're just, you know, trying to keep your head above water, but that's important to take the step back and, and have that kind of thinking and, um, and have people, um, who are, you know, really trusted advisors give you feedback and help you on some of the bigger initiatives and help you report prioritize. So, yeah, I think, I think that boards can be very helpful. Um, I think there, you know, there's some really good posts out there in the archives from Brad Feld and, and Fred Wilson and Mark Suster about, um, their recommendations on board meetings. Before we started board meetings with HeTexted, we followed a lot of those um, recommendations on the frequency and and um, and how we set them up. And so, yeah, I think I think if you're thoughtful about them beforehand, they can be very valuable to the startup. And would you suggest that angels then do uh, offer or suggest taking a board seat pre-investment? Um, I. Th- yeah, I mean, I think um, if they're committed to staying involved in the company, and they're and they're really spearheading a lot of initiatives for the company, like all the things that I mentioned earlier, whether it's maybe they're helping the fundraise or, um, you know, they're helping them with strategic introductions, and they're they're that very active angel. That's a nice way to solidify the relationship by joining either the formal board or the advisory board, really whatever the preference is, and I and I think it's nice to to provide that incentive, that extra equity incentive to the angel, if they're committing to go in above and beyond a passive investor stance, then it's nice to really make sure that they're um, tied to the company even more and they have more skin in the game with respect to, you know, um, being aligned on the incentives from the equity perspective. And what do you think founders and investors can do then to make sure that uh, the board meetings are as effective as possible? Often they can be seen as a kind of social waste of time in in some cases. So how can you ensure the most productivity from these meetings? Well, I'm I'm probably a little OCD in this sense, but I'm huge on preparation, and I think that um, you know, again, the the blogs that I reference they highlight this as making sure that you have an agenda beforehand, distributing that days in advance, um, making sure that everyone's you know been able to think about all of all of the agenda items so that they you know are already coming to the table with some suggestions. But I, um, for you know, the the biggest takeaway that I would say is. 
I don't think um, the board meetings are necessarily just a, a time for you just to like hash through all the history of um, what's occurred in the last two or three months. I really think the most fruitful board meetings are ones where you sit down and they're, they're, you've teed up topics for discussion where it's brainstorming about what can you do to make the business better or key items that, are, um, that the entrepreneurs are struggling with the, at the moment and how to get through those. So I think that the best board meetings are the ones where you, know, you have the time to prepare, you're attacking really interesting, challenging strategic issues, and you walk away in a very you know, efficient um, time frame, let's say it's a couple hours, where you know there's a commitment from the board members here's what I'm going to do to help you and the entrepreneurs walk away feeling like they've made some really good progress on things that were troubling them that's like the best case scenario I think and you're also a member of some significant angel investment networks as well as being on the boards of the companies previously mentioned so how important do you believe networks can be as a source of deal flow for you as an angel oh I think that they're huge I mean I you know the, the the thing the thing that's so tough as an angel is that you you just you can't scale your own time <laughs> and so to get a trusted recommendation for um, an entrepreneur that you should meet with is just i mean that just makes your sourcing so much more efficient and then also when i'm doing diligence on a potential deal it's so nice to have a network of angels, experienced angels that I can work with. You know, New York Angels, for example, has just been wonderful in terms of, you know, working together in small groups and learning from each other's expertise. So, yeah, I mean, I rely on them a lot in, in terms of, you know, deal flow um, and learning from them and their past experience and leading deals together. The company Enernal that you mentioned, I co-led that deal with um, one of my colleagues in New York Angels, who's also the chairman of uh, Harvard Business Angels. And we both really loved the investment, but from different perspectives. I was coming more from a financial background, and I could see how hedge funds and private equity would love the, the product. It's essentially uh, energy, energy data. And, um, and he was coming more from an information services background, and he loved the product for different reasons. And so that, to me, was really awesome. I just learned a lot from him, and I think vice versa. And I think it was a very symbiotic um, working relationship for us to lead the deal together. So, so I, I absolutely love the networks from that perspective. And would you have any advice for someone looking to join a network or already in a network and looking to maximize their use of it? Yeah, I mean, so if someone's looking to join a network, I would just say go for it because there's really little downside. Like, what's the worst case scenario? You lose, you know, the, the dues that you paid and you don't ever wind up attending a meeting. I mean, that's really, that's not a bad worst case scenario. <laughs> there's so much to learn from it, whether they're, you know, they're informational um, meetings that they hold on, on how to be a better angel or, you know, learning from other people when you conduct diligence and going to meetings where, you know, they've teed up 10 or 12 companies to present at one time. That's highly efficient, right? I mean, curated curated it curated it for you and then you're you're spending um you know a very efficient amount of time seeing these companies and working with people so so i would say you know definitely go for it there's tons of networks out there um figuring out which one is the right fit is is relatively easy to do too because you can attend informational meetings in a lot of these groups as a, a guest before you ever have to commit um, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I highly recommend it. And then as far as how you maximize it when you're in the network, 
Um, I, you know, I would say like anything, it's kind of what you get out of it is what you put into it. So making sure that you attend the meetings regularly and volunteering on committees or, or side projects, leading deals, um, and, you know, just spearheading initiatives, whether it's a, a sector that you're really interested in, doing subgroups on that, or um, bringing in a speaker, being proactive about um, being a thought leader or um, or organizing events. Like I think the more you, you put into it in terms of your time, the more you get out of it and, and become recognized. And if it's okay with you, we're going to dive into a quick fire round now. Okay, go for it. So the biggest misconception about early stage investing? I think the biggest misconception is that it's really easy to um, have someone write a check for you. And I'm not saying that it's not. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are people out there that sit down to meet an entrepreneur for coffee and, and at the end of the meeting, they write them a check. But the vast majority of times, that just doesn't happen that way. And so what really matters is the entrepreneur taking the time to do the diligence on which investor is right for them, understanding where that investor invests, both in terms of geography and sector and valuation and, and making sure that they... Um, follow them, get to know them, and then get a warm introduction. You know, really making sure that the entrepreneur puts the research into figuring out um, all of those things before they make the approach. And then your investing ethos in a sentence. Um, your so my mantra generally is um, your dollar and your actions are your votes. Um, so I feel like any investment decision I make is, is, you know, somehow reflective of what I believe in too. Um, and specifically what I mean by that is, you know, I could invest in a food company that's pioneering transparency in the supply chain. And it's probably cause I, you know, fundamentally believe in the, in transparency and how we really should know what's going into our bodies. Right. So, so everything I think. I've invested in it's because I believe in the person and also because there's some kind of fundamental theme that reflects my values and then finish this sentence if I had more time I would do X more because X uh, if I had more time I would probably um, I, I would probably speak more in the community um, because it enables me to help to give back to the ecosystem and also to meet a lot of people at once, especially when I'm crunched for time. And then your favorite investing or technology-related resource, it could be a podcast, a blog, uh, a newsletter. You know, I, I think I mentioned this earlier. I, I, have, uh, I use FeedReader to scan articles, every article that's put out every day from like 20 different publications. And so just by looking at a thousand plus articles a day, I probably read, you know, I don't know, maybe 20 to 30. And so many of them are important for my portfolio companies, whether it's like a new fund that was being launched or competitor activity or, you know, something that I see where maybe that could be a press lead for them like that, just staying on top of what's going on in the environment. That's probably my biggest resource. And then your most recent investment and why you said yes. So I made an investment earlier this year in iFunding, which is a real estate crowdfunding platform. And then um, I've also made a couple of real estate investments um, through the platform just in the last couple of weeks. And then we'll do another one tomorrow. Um, so that's been kind of a fruitful investment for me, both in terms of investing in their equity, but then also now in investing in their deals and tinkering around with that. 
Um, why I said yes is I love the team. I actually wound up meeting them through my work on CNBC and um, and doing the diligence through that, and so becoming very comfortable with them. But I, you know, definitely believe that there's a huge opportunity in curating these. Uh, investment deals for accredited investors, and um, and you know these investors can make a lot of money doing it. But uh, but the the concept of crowdfunding, I think, is um, you know of course a huge investment theme, and um, just was really drawn to it. Well, Alicia, thank you so much for joining us on this very special episode of Angel Insights. I'm hugely grateful. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And we would love to say a huge thank you to Alicia for giving up her time to be on the show today. And we would love to hear what you thought of this episode of Angel Insights. And you can tweet us at Syndicate Room on Twitter. And likewise, we'd be delighted if you were to share the show with your friends on social media. And before we leave the show today, we'd like to remind you that early stage investing is risky. And so it's important to remember that you shouldn't invest more than you can afford to lose. And you should really carry out the proper due diligence prior to making the investment. Thank you so much, as always, for your continued support. And we look so forward to seeing you in the next episode where we'll be interviewing Ben Luntz of Indicator Ventures.